0: Are you thinking about starting your own cash practice? Maybe you've already started your own practice and you're starting to realize that there's a lot to learn when it comes to business. We can be great clinicians, but if we don't understand the business side of having our own practice, we're going to have a hard time being successful in business. Guys, I wrote a book for you and I took... Everything that I've learned over the last five years of running successful cash practice here in Atlanta, and I put it in this book, and I gave you everything that you need to be able to start and scale that practice past yourself. That book is called Fuck Insurance, and if you don't like the title, the book is not for you. If you do like the title, it's the exact book that you need to be reading right now. I show you exactly how to start. I show you what's important when it comes to marketing, when it comes to sales, when it comes to operations, and what stage you're actually at in the business. You know where you're at, what you need to focus on while you're there and how to get to the next stage. I'm trying to set it up in a way where you can get some clarity in your business. And the book for now is 100% free. All you have to do is go to finsurancebook.com. That's finsurancebook.com and get your free copy of the book that I wrote specifically to help you be successful in business. The book is free. All you got to do is pay for it to get to your door. So that I don't lose my shirt on giving everybody all these books and sending them around the world. And again, head to finsurancebook.com, learn how to run a successful cash practice today. So here's the question, how do physical therapists like us who don't want to see 30 patients a day, who don't want to work home health and have real student loans, create a career and life for ourselves that we've always dreamed about? This is the question and this podcast is the answer. My name is Danny Mattei. And welcome to the PT Entrepreneur Podcast. What's up, guys? Doc Danny here with the PT Entrepreneur Podcast, and uh, we got one of my mastermind members, one of my uh, one of my buddies, Ziad Dadoul, out of uh, Ignite Physio and Sports Performance in Orange County. Uh, somebody I've, I've been wanting to chat with on the podcast for a while. Someone that that before we even got connected formally, um, you know, it's like six degrees of separation. I keep hearing about this guy via other people in our, in our, uh, in our, in our know, circles and in our mastermind. And they're like, Hey, you got to talk to, you know, Zia, you got to talk to Ziad." So finally, you know, we, we got a chance to chat and, and uh, he's been an amazing addition to, you know, kind of what, what we have, and especially from just like a cultural standpoint, like, you know, it's, you, you're certain people that you get a chance to just connect with that are just, really good emotional intelligence everybody likes and you know easy to connect with other people like that's definitely one of your your superpowers so I'm excited to chat with
1: you today man how is uh, how's the LA area right now? No man I appreciate you having me on like LA is going pretty well so far like SoCal definitely got hit you know pretty hard with this COVID deal but um, overall like things seem like they're finally starting to like loosen up the purse strings a little bit and uh, letting people back out and be a little bit more um, I guess a little bit more relaxed on the restrictions but I think we're going to be one of the last areas to really like fully release people back so it's gonna be interesting
0: yeah well we're one of the first uh we are the first actually now i think yep. about it like somebody had to go first uh it's and it's you know man i went and picked a pizza up the other day for for like dinner on saturday night and there's this area here in atlanta called the Beltline, which is basically just like a glorified walking path but people love it and there's just it's usually packed well i go to pick up this pizza it's right out this restaurant off the Beltline, line and I've got a mask on. I'm like walking over there and there's hundreds of people sitting around like riding their bikes, just sitting under like a tree, like whatever, hanging out with other people. And I'm the only person who had a mask on. And I, then I start second guessing myself like, am I wrong? Am I doing something wrong? Did like, was there a notification that came out that you're not supposed to do this anymore? And I even, I walk by this guy, everybody's younger than me, by the way. And this, this guy, he's probably 20 with his girlfriend. They're walking by and they're like, this guy's taking it really seriously. And I was like, holy shit. Like I'm totally in the wrong place. I'm too old for this place now. And I'm too like apparently aware of what's going on.
1: I don't know. Like are people like not wearing masks anywhere where you're at or are they still? It is the exact opposite. Like I went, I had one time where I, I wear masks all the time and everybody here wears masks, but the one time, like last week, I had just forgotten my mask at home. I was just running to the store to like 7-Eleven to just grab something. And I felt like I had like laser beams being like shot through me because everybody was staring sure at me up? like I'm some leper. <laughs> I, I probably should have, but they were staring at me like I'm this crazy person because I went out for five minutes and didn't have my mask. So like I felt the opposite restriction that you felt.
0: Wow. No, it's, but you know, I think it's, it's just interesting to see, you know, where we're at in the Southeast where uh, it's a little more, just a different demographic. Right. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I've had plenty of people have come in they're just like, you know, well, the government can't tell me this or that. And it's like, well, we're we're built on a nation of a bunch of people that basically got irritated by another government, right? I mean, like, that's, that's, that's what we are. And uh, so I think to some degree, that's going to be natural for people to do that. But what it's just a weird, it's a weird time. And I don't think anybody really knows what the implications are of it. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, as far as the business goes, and and for you guys, it's what's been cool is, you know, we've been doing all these Friday calls and like, catching up on what's working and what, what people are doing. And, and uh, yeah, it's been fun to kind of hear what, what you're, you're figuring out. And we can kind of dig into some of the, the things you're doing uh, as well. But you know, before we do that, I don't even know this story. I don't even know, like, how did you go about starting, you know, Ignite Physio? Why did that start? Like, wh- where did you go to, you know, PT school? What did that, that journey look like?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I was a kinesiology major in undergrad, and I actually started off as a business major. And I got to my third year, and I was like, shit like this is hard and i'm not good at this like i'm just not good at this stuff like i took a couple econ classes and i'm like this is just not for me and i couldn't imagine going that route and so i ended up changing to kines and volunteered at a pt clinic and just absolutely fell in love with it like getting to work with athletes and being involved in sports in some way shape or form like that was something that i always wanted to do and i knew that i wanted my career to, to include and so ended up going into pt school i went to um to usc out here in in uh in la for pt school and, um, just made a lot of great connections and got to learn a lot, a lot of research based, um, background at, at USC. And so got exposure to a lot of really cool stuff and, um, graduated, came out and I had a, a, a practice out here in Long Beach that was actually a neuro based practice, but they saw some, a little bit of, of ortho. And so you know, for me, my love, my background. And so, um, I ended up getting to work with a lot of high level neuro patients as well. You know, spinal cord injury, stroke, wow. Parkinson's, you know, um, you know, SCIs, all, all sorts of stuff. And it was really, really cool to be able to take all the things that I learned working with these high-level neuro clients and being able to apply it to the ortho world. Because I think we, we tend to think, well, I'm an ortho therapist, or I'm a sports therapist, like, I don't do neuro. It's like, well, dude, everybody has a freaking nervous system. Like that doesn't change. Everybody's got it. So like, if you can see the things that are working at the, on the, for the neuro population and apply it to your ortho folks, like I think, I think you're, you're ahead of the game from that standpoint. And so really being able to like see that for the first four years of my career was pretty unbelievable. It was a great experience. And so um, I got to take a lot from that for sure.
0: That's really cool, man. You know, I, uh, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, when I first got exposed to uh, like Gray cooks approach to DNS, looking at, you know, the, the application of developmental kinesiology and, and I'm like, Oh no, that makes total sense. Like, why would we have somebody do crawling patterns? You know, why would we have somebody do rolling patterns? And and uh, and and I did very little neuro, but we did we did have uh, we, primarily it was it was more traumatic brain injury stuff that that we were seeing with soldiers, right? So, and a lot of that they're relearning movement patterns, just like uh, just like anything else. And I, I totally agree. I think that 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 neuro that neuro baseline, right, is really interesting if you have that viewpoint, and then you apply some of these other like hard skills from a sports performance or ortho standpoint like what was that what was that journey like for you to get to a point where you're able to mix things these things together in a way that that was a framework that made sense to you and you're able to kind of replicate it
1: yeah you know it was it was cool because I got I worked there for four years and I was able to take a lot because they had some amazing therapists and so all of their approaches from like a, a tactile cueing standpoint and just the, the way that they approached and set up their patients like I took so much from that but I felt like I wasn't able to work with athletes. And that's really why I got out and and I was, you know, and, and why I went to school in the first place was to work with athletes. And so I, you know, I took a lot of that. And then I ended up going and working for an ortho practice where I was managing clinics. So I did like the opposite. I went from like one-on-one time to all of a sudden I'm working with like three or four patients an hour, but I'm yeah. running two clinics and working from the business standpoint, because I always wanted to go that route. And so, um, it, it, I realized pretty quickly that that style of treatment was did not fit me well. Like seeing somebody for ten or fifteen minutes and then passing them off to an aide. That's not what I wanted to do. I yeah. mean, long term. Well, you know, when you're working on a when you're working at a um, at a, a practice like that and you're running it and you're working as an administrative, you know, somebody who's like actually like in management, you see things from a different standpoint and you get to see the business side. And I realized that there are a lot of things that are really working well from a financial standpoint, but um, in terms of applying treatment, like it just wasn't working the way I wanted it to work, and so I got to a point where I'm like, I need to change something because I'm getting burnt out, and I'm getting to a point where I, like, I don't even really enjoy going to work anymore. And I never saw myself getting to that point, and that, that was like my my line in the sand that I drew in terms of um, starting Ignite Physio. Do,
0: do you, you know, I, I my only other experience. I'm going to sound like a hick. My only other experience with. Palestinian, you know, people that I know. I was, we were talking about my buddy, AK, before, yeah. before the podcast, right? And, you know, it seems like everybody around him, all his family members are very entrepreneurial. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and he even showed me this really funny uh, picture of his dad back in, God, this would have been like when Radio Shacks were around. His dad and I guess his uncle started something called Stereo Shack, and, uh, and, and had basically just sold, sold, sold electronics within this in the, in the Northeast. And uh, he's like, yeah, no, it's just like his dad had like all these different businesses that he had, you know, during the, during the, um, you know, when he was working And is, is that something that like, was your family like that? Is, is there a lot of entrepreneurship within it? Um, or is this something, are you like a rare sort of black sheep within your
1: own family? Sorry, can you say that again? It cut out for a second, I didn't hear the question.
0: Yeah, you know, I, it, it, for, for you, was it? Is this something that's natural within your family, there are a lot of entrepreneurs or are you like one of the only ones?
1: No, If, if I challenge any, anybody with Middle Eastern descent to like to reach out to me and tell me if they don't have an aunt or an uncle that's in the liquor store business, the gas station business or the restaurant business. Really? Like it's, it's one of those three things for sure. Like, and and it, a lot of it comes down to like when, they, when, we, my, when my relatives, my, my, my parents, my grandparents, when they first came to this country, you don't come with like an educational background, like you don't come with a college degree, or I was an engineer back home, or I was this and that, like, you basically have to like pull yourself up by the bootstraps and start something and be able to figure out a way to make money for your family. And so entrepreneurship is like the backbone of uh, basically Middle Eastern immigrants, like in this country. And so um, that I got to see my dad working seven days a week running a liquor store. Here, My family's been in the liquor store business for 45 years. And so I got to see my dad on the back end, every day coming home from work. And he's like my hero. And he's the guy that I look up to. And so being able to like do something along those lines and follow in his footsteps and see how hard he worked for us. I definitely knew I wanted to go something, something down this route, but he allowed me to be able to like make, you know, make, make better for myself and be able to like educate myself and, uh, and find something to be able to provide that's a little bit different than just doing that line of work, you know? Well, what about, so you talk about like hard work, right? And yeah. I think there's this
0: hard work is important. There's no doubt about it, but there's also like, um, efficient work or working on the right things that lead to time and financial freedom. Right. I mean, I think for a lot, for a lot of, uh, people like your, your dad and, and, uh, and even, you know, with, with my great grandparents coming over here, they're, they're Italian. Right. And they like, they just bust their ass. Right. But like mm-hmm. working really hard doesn't always equate to, um, uh, financial or time freedom in fact it just depends what you're working on right and we kind of talk about these skills and entrepreneurship and like you can bust your ass to be the best clinician possible but then you hit this cap and seeing your dad work seven days a week and 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 work really hard to support you guys do you see an element of that as well where you're like man I don't want to work that often either like I, I I respect it but I I want to put myself in a place where I'm able to be more efficient with time and still you know be able to uh, give my family the opportunities that your dad afforded you but not necessarily work
1: all the time yeah, because he did a great job of building that store and, and, and building it up to being you know able to like support two kids that went to college and pay for it and be able to do all of that stuff. And, and on the flip side he never got to a point where he scaled. And so for me, mm. I don't want to just own my job. You guys talk about that. You guys do a great job of hammering home this point in the mastermind group is, if you're, if you're a solo practitioner and you just want a lifestyle business, that's completely fine. But I know that's not what I want. Like I want to be able to enjoy and reap the benefits of all of my hard work and be able to take some time off and, and do some other projects and work on other things. And in order to do that, I can't just trade time for money. I have to be able to grow practice, hire clinicians and be able to scale this beyond just me. And so I've seen a lot of the things that my dad has done and he's imparted a lot of his wisdom of 45 years of being an entrepreneur and being a business. And he's helped me learn a lot of those things like to be able to like, you know, save your money, don't overextend yourself when things are good, still have that chip on your shoulder. Like don't get complacent. Like those are a lot of things that he made mistakes with that he's imparted with me. Like as I've started to grow this business. Dude, that's
0: so cool. Tell tell me a little bit about Ignite. So, how was uh, how was the start? Did you did did you start off with a bang, or was it uh, was it a reality check? Like, man, this maybe isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah, I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but like I started off as a side hustle, like um, while I was still working on my other job, and then it got to a point where I started in January of 2018 and had two patients on my schedule that first week. So I had basically two people, but I had lined up a a gig with Kaiser doing per diem home health work, and yeah. That was something that was a prerequisite for me. Like, I think this is a big, a, a big learning experience for me was I couldn't make the jump. I have a mortgage, I have, I'm married, I have a, a, a mortgage and loans and all this stuff that I need to pay off. And I don't ever want to let the financial side of things affect the decisions I make in my business. And so I ended up making the decision, like I'm just gonna work 60, 70, 80 hours a week if I have to, to be able to support my family, but at the same time make good decisions to grow a healthy business long-term. And so I worked for Kaiser for 16 months after I started my business. And I probably worked a lot longer. Like Eve gave me so much shit. Eve was like, we're going through the numbers and we're going all this stuff. And he's giving me, he, he, he's like, so you're seeing this many patients a week in your own practice, but you're also working 24 hours a week for Kaiser. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, stop working Kaiser and start growing your business. And I'm like, okay, shit. All right, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And so that was the kick in the ass I needed um, to, to quit my Kaiser job. And so I've been like seven months without Kaiser now. And it's been, I mean, it's been unbelievable to have that extra time to be able to actually like grow a business instead of just working in the business and, and running around like a chicken with my head cut off all the time. So
0: that, I feel like for a lot of people listening to this, um, you know, they're going the same route. They're doing, uh, they're, and probably even more so now, right? I, I know a lot of, you know, solid uh, ortho PTs that were at in-network clinics that have been furloughed or they've been let go because of volume. And, and, and man, like you, you look at the challenges within our own businesses. Could you imagine having a high volume in network practice and trying to control all the variables of people coming in uh, there, especially with the a high, like a heavy Medicare population. I just feel like that would be so challenging, right? So we, we see we see a lot of these highly skilled folks that already were probably a little disgruntled with the position they found themselves in. Um, now they're like, well, crap, might as well, let's give it a try, right? And, and going uh, the, the side hustle route, if possible, I think is definitely the smoothest transition. But what we found is there's a sticking point when you have like You're basically time poor and you're turning people away within your, your, your side hustle so that you can go to your, your, your job that you have. So for you, what was that, what was that sticking point besides Eve telling you like, Hey, what are you doing? Like, what, what was that volume amount? Like, what was the, 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 the sticking point for you to where you're like, dude, I got to do this. I've got to go all in.
1: Yeah. So I got to a point where I was working like, you know, 35, 40, 45 hours a week on my own stuff and then still working for Kaiser three days a week, eight hours a day. Yeah. And so like you're talking like 60 to 70 hours a week. And I got to a point where I'm like, I'm seeing a lot of patients. And I I was very big about, I don't want to turn anybody away, but I was very big about I'm seeing everybody I need to see, but at the end of the day, like I'm not doing anything to actually grow the practice. All I'm doing is just literally just seeing patients all day, every single day, seven days a week. And this is not what I set out to do. I didn't set out to own my job. I set out to actually grow and build a business. And so that comfort level of having that money coming in every month from Kaiser and having that quote unquote stability was a big deal for me at the time. But I got to a point where it was more of a hindrance. Like I lost that, that chip on my shoulder because I was so busy just being a rat in a wheel, just working hard and just making money. And so um, I got to a point where I had that realization, like after talking to you guys and then you know talking to my parents and everything, like and my wife and getting an idea of like, dude, I, we don't see you. You're never around, like, really, what are you working for at the end of the day? Like, you're just working to work at this point. And so yeah. you need to be able to enjoy your time, but at the same time, be able to actually grow a business. And so that was the kick in the ass I needed in order to make that decision.
0: Did, did you have like a certain um, threshold in terms of cash on hand you felt comfortable with? You're like, okay, well, if I can get to this amount uh of you know of savings cuz if you're if you're busy in a side hustle and you're still working somewhere else like you're you're doing really well from a cash flow standpoint mm-hmm. typically so you know did did you have a certain um you know number of months where you're like okay if i can if i can have this number of months on hand or or whatever the number might be that i can at least take a chance on myself and then you give yourself this sort of uh this this back out window where you could always go back and get a, a job if it doesn't work out
1: yeah i i made sure i had at least a minimum of 4 months of like living expenses and operating expenses like in the bank ready to go. Um, and that's something that I've always done. I've always been very, um, very conservative when it comes to that standpoint. Like I don't, I I don't function well with my back against the wall from a financial standpoint, but I do from other stuff. And so I knew I needed at least four months in order to feel comfortable and actually give it a full go. And, and honestly, I haven't had to tap into it, which is great.
0: Yeah. Well also, I mean, we're very conservative about this with people in the mastermind too. We talk about, Hey, Mm -hmm. we want three to six months of cash on hand in your business. You know, personally want the same thing. And for a lot of people, what was really interesting to see what happened with, uh, with, with with everything being shut down. So many people that, that reached out to us from the group, they're like, Hey, I feel like, like I'm in a really good spot right now because you guys have kind of forced us to be, you know, focusing on certain things. And I, you know, I, I, you know, for you, I know you have these elements of your business that you're working on and things like that. But like, how how much less stress do you feel like you had because you had this sort of fiscal, uh, I, I guess, uh, amount of of money that was there from a emergency standpoint uh, that allowed you to not freak out and try to scramble to do things that you probably shouldn't have done for long term purposes.
1: Yeah, it was it was huge. I mean, that peace of mind of knowing that there's money in the bank that you know you can you can tap into if if you know a bad scenario comes up, an emergency comes up, whatever the case may be. Like that just takes so much of the headache. Off of like we have enough stress just running a business and being able to grow a practice as is, sure. and having that financial stress on top of it. That's why I'm very sensitive to these times that we're in right now because I know people have that financial stress, and that's one of the biggest issues that people have. And to, to not have that and to feel comfortable knowing that I can just continue to like focus on that longevity and the health of my business. I mean, I can't even put a price tag on how how valuable that's been to me.
0: So f- for you, when you were getting started, um, you know, you, you you had a really you know very busy side hustle
1: where. Where were these people coming from? How are people finding you? What did you
0: find success with from a marketing standpoint?
1: Yeah, a lot of it was like local relationships in the community, so I had a lot of word of mouth. And um when I first started the business, I actually had some people that reached out to me that had been seeing me previously at my previous location and were just like, we, we want more, we need more. This whole 10-15 minute thing is not working for us and yeah. some of them some of them were paying cash. I mean, they have high deductible plans and they're going to an in-network place and they're paying 75-100 bucks a visit. Right. And they're getting to see their therapist for 10 minutes. And they're like, "Well, I can pay you a little bit more." And see you for a whole hour and actually get some quality care out of it and so it was a no-brainer for them you know and so that's that that was what helped me flow from the beginning and um even to this day it's all been word of mouth it's been it's been relationship driven it's been building local local relationships with local businesses with other people other pts like um everything has been word of mouth for the most part i haven't done an ounce of digital marketing at this point or any sort of advertising how do you so i because a lot of people say like okay well that's not a marketing strategy, but that's
0: a great marketing strategy. That's a local marketing strategy. It, what, what intentional sort of um, things do you do to develop and maintain and curate local relationships? Like, how do you go about that? Do you have a framework that you like to follow or things that you
1: found success with? At the beginning, the, the big thing I did is I just set out to say, I'm going to, I'm going to give it like six to eight months and I'm just going to give, I'm just going to mm-hmm. give a bunch of shit away for free and I'm just going to do workshops. I'm going to do consultations. I'm going to do screens. I'm going to go to, uh, you know, to gyms and say, Hey, can I come in and just talk to your members and this and that? And like, I think that like, people have a really good bullshit you know, detector and they'll figure out whether you're in it just to make a buck or if you're in it because you just genuinely care about people. And yeah. I, I, I just care about people, man. I just want people to be better. And I want to help as many people as I can. And so I think they're able to read that. And once they see that, I can't even tell you how many leads I get right now that I initially met in 2018 and never heard from before that because they just continued to follow me on social media or heard about me from other people at the gym or at their businesses or whatever. And I feel like that was the best lead generator I could ever have at the beginning was just giving away shit and just caring about people.
0: Dude, I listened to a podcast the other day. <clears throat> it was, it was, it was about, um, psychology of selling actually. And, but they brought up the story about a, a lady that that was uh, one of the most um, successful realtors in the in the Dallas area that ran like a basically a billion dollar uh, real estate company, and uh, she was interviewed by the guy that was that was on the podcast. That he was he was coming in to do like sales skills for their company, and he asked her, you know, he was like, hey, what do you think the number one reason is you've been able to grow like a ton and 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 have this massive real estate company in, in Dallas? And she, she her response was uh, that I she said, it was I really really care about the people that we work with that like my customers, my clients and everybody in the company. She's like, and he goes, that's it. You care about people. And he, she goes, yep. That's the number one reason why we've been successful. And, and what's funny, I, I laughed out loud when I heard that because I've said very similar things to our staff uh, and, and to people in, in the mastermind. It, Cause you're right. Like if you, if, if, if you honestly care about like helping other people out, that's so rare. It's not common. Right. And it's also like, there's this, you know, Uh, like you say, like bullshit meter that people have where I know you can tell and I can tell it's like, dude, I don't know about you. Like you get a weird feeling from you. Right. Versus somebody that's like, honestly, just interested in helping and giving. And it's so easy to say that, but when there's no money kind of coming back from that, like, what did you have to do during that point? Because it it can be, it's delayed gratification for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where having the having the Kaiser per diem gig allowed me to be able to do that. If I hadn't had that, I think I would have, I would have felt a little bit more desperation to say, well, I need to make money cause I need to support myself. And so that bought me that time to be able to like actually lay that foundation down. And I can't say enough, like how important that was to the health of my business now. Cause I don't think I would be where I am right now. If I hadn't done all those things at the beginning, in terms of laying that foundation from a marketing standpoint, and just doing a lot of guerrilla marketing locally, and just seeing as many people as I possibly could, and just giving them giving them value, and just showing them the value of what of what we can actually provide.
0: What about um, referrals from clients that are seeing you? Is this something that for you, are you you know following a structured process of you know when you're kind of setting that up? If you're asking them to send friends and family your way, are you not doing that intentionally at all? Like what's 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 your process for for people you're working with? sending other people your way.
1: Yeah. So um, during their treatment, somewhere between the third and the fifth visit is where I broached that subject. So I'll always ask. And because I think what I, what I found from the beginning is I wasn't asking and it wasn't because they didn't want to refer people to me. It's just that I wasn't asking for it. So they weren't really thinking about it. Right. And so I got to a point because they're going to want to support you any way they can once they see like how valuable you are to their lives and what you can do for them. And so they're going to do everything they can to support you. And so between the third and the fifth visit, I'll, I'll broach that subject and I'll just say, Hey, like, you know, obviously you know, I run a small business and I'm, I'm trying to like grow and be able to hire and do all that stuff and I want to help people. And so if you know any friends or family that would benefit from this or have been putting things off or anything like that, it's as simple as that. It's, it's like one or two sentences and that's it. And there's no pressure. There's no, nothing from that standpoint. And then after their treatment is over or you we know, all not quote unquote over, you know, it's never over, but after, after I'm done seeing them for that plan of care, um, I, I so my admin will send an email out to them asking them for reviews and then also asking them again, reminding them, hey, if you know of any friends and family, this and that. Like we have we haven't done any incentive programs from that standpoint, but that's been what most effective. Once I started doing the three to five visit and then sending the email afterwards, that's been pretty effective.
0: Oh, it's uh, and a ref- a referral from a, from somebody you've worked with is always the best client, right? Like they 're just indoctrinated by the time they show up like they're you know they, they're raving about you it's just so such a great uh, you know marketing uh, marketing system and and it's funny like i I totally agree with that sort of time frame too right It's like enough to where you you've created some positive change with them enough where they've gotten a chance to kind of know you a little bit. Uh, you know, if it's like visit one, you're like, Hey, send whoever you got my way. Like, well, I don't know you dude. You know, it's like, (laughs) I'm not, I, and, and eventually, and for you, like, do you ever find yourself kind of intentionally being able to figure out which people are, well, I call them spewers. They're the people that are like, they've got a guy for everything, you know, like, yeah. Oh, I gotta! Oh, you gotta talk to my guy for this or my guy for that. And like, if you can get those people on your side, that can be huge. Like, so have you have you found people like that? And it, if so, like, how do you take those people individually and make sure you're cultivating those relationships?
1: Yeah, those are those are like the connectors. Those are the people that have like branches off in every single direction imaginable. And like, once you find those people, I've I've encountered. Thankfully, I've encountered a few people. Like, I've had a couple patients who have referred me to like over over a dozen people on yeah. their own. Like, these are just a couple people. Well. On their own because it's family it's friends and they're just so big into relationships and when you find somebody who does a really good job of cultivating relationships like you want to really make sure that you do everything you can to empower them and to give them as much as possible and so like I'll give them you know I'll give them discounted visits here and there I'll send them I'll send them stuff like unprompted and I'll just say hey saw this and was thinking about you and and uh, I thought you you could benefit from this for your back or for your shoulder your knee or whatever and those kinds of things like just showing them that they're always at the front of my mind and that I'm not like, you know, if I'm not seeing them as consistently doesn't mean I just stop thinking about them. And so, um, the other, the other thing that I found that a simple thing that works really well is we just started sending out birthday cards. Yeah. And so I just started doing that in March and I'll send a little something to certain people. And all of a sudden, like, it's amazing how much their eyes light up, like just from getting a simple card, a handwritten card in the mail, because people want to feel cared for. And when you show them that you genuinely do care about them, like it goes a long way and it really allows them it really allows them to do everything in their power to like look out for you in the long run as well.
0: Dude, I totally agree with that. And you can even automate that. We haven't set this automation up yet, but we've done this for other, um, like other marketing uh, initiatives that, that, we've, uh, that we've done where um, you can actually get other people to handwrite cards for you and send them out, whatever you wanted to say. And it's, they're basically like robots that, uh, that, that, that handwrite and that's then awesome. they, you can automate birthdays like in your CRM. Yeah, seriously, it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. And I guess maybe, I don't know if it, it means the same, but, uh, you know, if your admin has a bandwidth to do it, it's, it's great. And, and, and little things like that are for sure, they make a big difference, man. Even even the, the guy that I was telling you about, that, uh, that that's, my, that's my buddy who's, whose dad had Stereo Shack. You know, last time I saw him, I was like, hey, man, I've been watching this Michael Jordan documentary like. I'm trying to dunk in May. I haven't dunked since I was like in college, and I'm dunking this this month. I'm not close at all, by the way. I have like another. I gotta like embarrassingly need probably like another six, seven inches on my vertical to be able to dunk. And uh, but he was like, he, he played uh, lacrosse at Tech, and he he was like, send me that. And uh, he was like, all right, I'm on the, I'm I'm gonna try to dunk too. <laughs> so he's doing the same thing, but it's just sharing a resource, right? There, you think would be would be beneficial. So. Yeah, I, I I don't think it needs to be, it's not rocket science, right? I think it's just a matter of like the golden rule kind of idea, right? We talk to our kids about like, how do you want somebody to treat you? How would you want like somebody to respond to you? And, and, um, you know, and, and we definitely see this with other businesses too. And I'm always, I'm always on the lookout for this stuff, like simple things, you know, little, little things that are meaningful, that aren't just like, I don't know. It's not the same thing you're sending everybody. This idea of individualization of just the right, the right folks. Um, do you have, do you have any sort of like examples of people that, uh, you know, you, you've been able to really individualize like a simple, I don't know, really like a gift, but like something to them that's been really, really profound to them more so than you thought that really led to, you know, helping the business as well?
1: Yeah, like I, um, so I work with a lot, like you like you mentioned before, I work with a lot of people People coming back from ACL reconstructions. And yeah. so, um, you know, doing home programs and then sending them things to do on their own. Like I, I encountered like, you know, I had this patient that, I've, that I saw for like six months during her, her rehab process. And as we got further further along in it, she was telling me that like, she had moved past like a lot of the exercises that we had done and she ended up like busting a couple of bands. And so she was waiting on some bands. She kept pushing it off. I kept getting on her case for it. And then, um, like what, one day I just decided like, why, why am I going to continue to get on her case? So like, I just went on Amazon. I have her address and I just ordered her a set of bands like it cost me 20 bucks. Yeah. But I, I sent her a set of bands and then she, I didn't tell her it was coming. I just wanted, wanted it to be a surprise and she got it in the mail and she just sent me a message after that. And she was like, she was so thankful for it. And it was like this little thing. But it shows her a, that like, honestly, I care about like her being able to move forward and do things. But at the same time, like she, she didn't have to ask me, like, I just did it because she, because I remembered that she had told me that and it happened. So just doing like little things like that, it doesn't have to cost you a lot and doesn't really have to cost you anything. But at the end of the day, if you listen, and I think that's the biggest skill that we can have, like in, in our practices is if you listen and you're really good and genuinely good at listening to people, like you'll remember things that other healthcare providers and other people in their, in their families, like won't remember. And if you show them that you really are listening to them and care about them, like, I think that goes a a hell of a long way in like developing and nurturing that relationship.
0: Dude, that's so accurate. Uh, One of my favorite books I read last year is called The Power of Moments. And it's the, uh, Dan and Chip Heath, uh, they've written a handful of other books, but this is probably my favorite one that they, that they wrote. And there's actually, there's a hotel in uh, your city, I forget the name of this hotel, but they have a popsicle hotline, uh, to where, you can be at the pool and they have like a little red phone and you pick it up and, you know, if you're hot, order whatever popsicles you want. And somebody comes out with like, you know, a silver platter with your popsicles on it and uh, you can order as many as you want. And like the, the kids freak out over this little thing, right? A super simple thing yeah. that costs like hardly anything, right? But people remember that, this, 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 this moment. And for you, you just created a moment for somebody where they didn't expect to, get something from you. And, and it, you're right. It's not like it's really expensive, but it fits a need and save them time. And also showed that you're like, you know, you're really invested in them. Like how many clinics realistically, I mean, how many you think people are like, yeah, let me send this person bands, right. Without, without being like, I'm going to, I'm going to charge them on, uh, you know, like I got their card on file. They're not going to find out about it. Like, <laughs> I, I just don't think it's that common.
1: No, if they would have sent the bands, they would have sent the bill with it, you know, instead, yeah. of, <laughs> instead of just the bands by itself.
0: Totally defeats the purpose, right? <laughs> Hey, here's a set of bands. And also, please send this back within the next three days. <laughs> we, need the, we need the money back. <laughs> no, I, I want to get into this, this niche that you, that you developed. I think it's a really smart um, area that, you know, I didn't even think about it. When, when you talked about like ACL stuff, like, okay, cool. He's like working with youth athletes. And, and for you, uh, you're like, no, no, it's more uh, working professionals. You know, it's people that are older, that have torn an ACL, that are adults,
1: not, not necessarily kids. How would you go down that path? Like, how, what led you to that? yeah, so I found that like the the people i 'm working with in person that I, that come to see me, the majority of them are the youth athletes, like I would say at least seventy five percent of them are youth athletes, yeah, but what I found was that there was this segment of the population that these, these business, busy business working professionals that are in the thirties and forties that are still active. They still do triathlons. They still play recreational soccer, basketball, whatever it is. And then they have these injuries happen, but they don't have the same amount of time that a kid would have to come into a clinic, spend two hours working at the gym with us and then go home and spend another hour doing it like on another night. Like they just don't have that time. And so I found that, A lot of people that were reaching out to me, like I've grown a little bit of a following on Instagram and a lot of the people that when they're home and they're, they're consuming content and they're looking through, scrolling through their feed and my stuff's coming up and they're seeing the things I'm doing with my patients, um, they, that's something that they're not getting and they're missing and they feel like that it's not allowing them to get back to doing what they want to do on their free time when, and they have so little free time to begin with that they want to be able to feel like hundred percent of themselves again. Yeah. And so I, a lot of them, the DMS that I get on Instagram are not from kids. They're all from, I started getting all these, these messages from these thirties and forties somethings that are that are just looking for something they can do on their own time that fits their schedule. But it's that, but it's coming from somebody who's a quote unquote expert in this one thing, this one niche. And so I've developed, like, I just love working with ACL patients and it's just something that I've, I've grown a passion for over the years. And I think that, that that speaks out and it rings out like in the content that I put out and they started reaching out and I felt like that that was a target demographic that really wasn't getting, getting, um, it, it wasn't getting served well enough as well as it should have been. Well, I think
0: for what you're describing, I mean, I imagine, okay, if I didn't own a PT practice and I'm not a PT myself, right. And, but I've got two kids, you know, busy with job traffic, everything included with that, right. Trying to go to the gym, not to just be out of shape so I can still be attractive for my wife. Like, you know, like, these are these are like your ACL may not be the priority to try to go somewhere three days a week so you can be around a bunch of elderly people and do you know total knee extensions like I totally get it right and and for you, it seems like you 're solving this problem basically you know in a very leveraged digital way um, where you 're able to individualize care, which is really. I mean, for most people are going to follow a similar pathway of, of progressions. Uh, and then it gets kind of sport specific in terms of where they're trying to get back to. But even still, a lot of it's going to be very, very sim- uh, similar. Um, what, what's your framework for that? Like, how are you working with people? How, how often do you notice that you have to like get in touch with them to really be able to have, you know, continual uh, pro- progress and, and good
1: care with them? Um, you know, what, what does that look like? Yeah. So when I work with people online, essentially the way it works is, is we do like a 45-minute um, like virtual evaluation. So whether that's through Zoom, WhatsApp, whatever it is that we, whatever platform we're using. And you know, the majority of what we do from a return to sports standpoint is I don't need to get my hands on them. Right. The only things I really can't do would be like, I don't have like a, I can't do isokinetic testing. I can't do isometric testing. Like those things are out the window, but I can do a single leg rise test. I can do a step down test. I can do hop testing. I can have, I can use them to set up the situation and just describe mm-hmm. to them what it looks like. And, and then all I need are my eyes to be able to watch for the quality of movement. And then they're helping me in terms of getting numbers. And I can determine like limb symmetry index. Like is their is there involved side is 90% as close to the uninvolved side as it, as it needs to be. I can watch to see what those numbers look like. And then be able to develop like a framework for putting together an exercise program for them to carry out on their own. So they'll get like a spreadsheet with all these all this information on it in terms of like exercises, video links, sets and reps, like all the things that they need to do. And we've already had the discussion in terms of how many days a week they want to work, like what works best for them from that standpoint. And, and, I, and I make it fit their schedule because I don't want it to be unrealistic. If I give right. them an unrealistic program, they're not going to do it. And that, that doesn't help anybody. And so we have a discussion at the beginning, depending on where they're at in their, in their recovery process, if they're at the eight, nine month mark, like people normally work with me for at least four to five months. And so I tell them that, and I lay that expectation down from the beginning that you're not going to get from point A to point Z in one month of working with me. This is going to take time. We have to establish a foundation and make up for all the things uh, that you haven't been doing up until this point, because to get on a little bit of a tangent, like the ACL rehab that's out there for the most part is shit. Bad, it's bad yeah it really is and and i'm still i'm talking i can't even tell you how many times somebody sees me in person or i see them online and they're telling me they're five months post-op and they just got done doing fucking clams and bridges yeah and like that's nonsense like that's ridiculous like it do, it's not hard to stay on top of the things that you need to do for each person from that from an individualized standpoint regardless of how many patients you see like there's no excuse for that and so i we, we spend the first month or two just making up for the lost time that they that, that they have to make up for what they haven't been doing prior to this and then once we get them to a point where they're back to doing like jumping again and cutting and changing direction, like that's where their eyes light up and they really get invested and involved. And then from there, it's like the cell isn't there anymore. Like they've already seen it and they see how much improvement they make. And then we retest every month and they can see from month to month. Like you remember, I asked them, you remember when I first had you do that single leg rise test, you did two of them. You're doing 23 now. Yeah. Yeah like there's no reason for them not to see like how important and how valuable what we can do remotely is. And, and they have access to me and they are able to get their questions answered. And I think that's a big part, like similar to like us being in, in um, you know, it, having a cash practice or a network practice. Like you feel like you're on an island when you work by yourself. Yeah. And it's the same thing in ACL rehab. Like I know how I feel, how I felt before I joined this mastermind group. Like I didn't really have a good support system and they don't have a support system because when you tell your ACL, you feel like you're by yourself and nobody else is going through it. Yeah. So to be able to have somebody to ask questions of and to be able to have like a, a community and a support system around you, I think that's worth the cost by itself.
0: Dude, that's, that's such a good, uh, such a good uh, reference, man. I mean, it, w- we see the same thing, right? It's not that, it's, it, uh, it's funny, a lot of people that we work with and I tell them, I'm like, look, you're gonna build, you're smart, like you're gonna figure this stuff out. Like you're gonna be able to be successful in business. What you have to realize is like, how many mistakes do you wanna make? And this is the same thing with ACLs, right? How many mistakes do you wanna make? how far do you want to take this? You know, as well as, do you want to do this by yourself? You know, like this idea of like isolation and it's not normal for us to, to be that way. And to talk about the mental side of, business and tearing your ACL and like getting back to a sport where you literally had a catastrophic injury and wondering if you're going to be able to play soccer again. And how do you test that? How do you know if you're ready for that? How do you, how do you go into it and say, okay, we've tested everything and you're the least likely you have just as much of a likelihood of tearing your other side as you do the, the, the side that you had that surgery on. And you know, like the only thing worse than an ACL tear is re-tearing your ACL, right? Like that sucks. Right. Like nobody wants to, nobody wants to do that. And the accountability, you know, the, the, the ability to customize things, but also have somebody that's helped so many people kind of get to that point. I can see how that's a huge selling factor. Do, do you feel like that the, the doing it on their own, like I think for a lot of people, they think, oh, come to the clinic. I'm this expert and like this is, this is the only way that I can prove that I have value. Do you feel like there's actually a significant amount of value in the, the selling point of being completely contrary to that and saying like, you don't need to come see me do this on your own time. I know you're busy. Is that, is that a huge uh, kind of selling factor for these folks?
1: Yeah. And I think that's for these ACL programs and for our model as a whole, like we're yeah. not pushing the three times a week and you're going to rely on us for the rest of your life. Like you, we need, you need to be empowered because at a certain point you're going to be on your own and you're going to right. get back to doing the things you need to do. So why don't we start laying down that foundation right now? I'll give you guidance and I can do that remotely. And I can do that seeing you once a week or every other week or once a month. I can, I can still give you that value, but at the same time, like you need to set yourself up to be empowered, to be an advocate for yourself moving forward. And so I think that expectation gets laid down from the beginning and we don't breed this dependency on us because it's not how it should be.
0: Yeah, dude, I, I love that. And I think that, uh, you know, what's interesting too, is I know this is something that you sort of doubled down a little bit more on now that we're, um, in a, you know, global pandemic and there's not as much in-person stuff going on. And what's interesting is to sort of see these light bulb moments and you're like, dude, I've just been focused on this and I've added like a half dozen people to this, to this platform. It's like, wow, well maybe you should focus on this more, <laughs> you know, because like, <laughs> this sounds like a great niche and, and, you know, you're able to develop this streamlined process and, 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 uh, and, and manage that. And, and I think that, you know, it's interesting to watch sort of this hybrid approach that's happening with everybody, and and you're you know doing a great job with this with both in person and digital um, elements because you can just impact so many more people. So, you know, for for you with with ignite, like what's what's your vision, man? Like, what do you want this thing to look like over the next five years?
1: Yeah, so I'm I, you know I'm in two two gym locations right now, and so like I love the communities I'm involved with, and um, I want to continue to like build relationships with the two communities I'm in. But at the end of the day, like. I envision this, like for me having my own freestanding location where it is physical therapy, performance and recovery, like all in one place. And I have a yeah. one-stop shop and then still be able to like have satellite locations in the two, the two gyms that I'm in. And so um, that's, that's really my five-year plan is to within the next five years to be able to have like my own freestanding clinic, uh, be able to have like strength coaches and um, um, you know, other physios working, w- working with me be able to have like a group to collaborate with, have nutrition, nutritionists. Dietitian, like all of that stuff being under one roof to treat people like you know like a human like really just like focusing on not only their sport but their lives and um and i want to be able to grow and scale and bring on other physios that really are tired of the traditional model and really want to help people on a different level Mm. and being able to have time one-on-one with your clients and with your patients like i i can't i can't even say like you can you can argue until you're blue in the face whether it's more effective or not from a literature standpoint but at the end of the day from a from a, uh, and like for feeling like I'm, I wake up every morning, like geeked out and ready to freaking go like, and, and go help my patients. Like I haven't ever felt like this in the past before the, the way I feel these last couple of years. So I, yeah. I want to be able to provide that for other physios that feel like they're stuck and they don't have that you know, there for them.
0: Oh, it's so true. And I think that, yeah, I mean, look, you, you can make an argument for either one, like, do people do better around other people? I mean, in exercise for sure. You can, you can make a case for that. And for PT, sure. There's some community elements of that and, and there's positives, but I think when you look at the provider, you know, and we've both been in these situations where we get a chance to really individualize, focus on one person build built, I, I think probably the best part is building an honest relationship with somebody and getting to know them more so than just, you know, like their injury. Um, that's huge. And, and, and having enough volume where it's sustainable, but not so much where it burns you out. Like that's a, that's a fine line there. And, and people are figuring out what that looks like, but you're right. Too many of our peers, too many of our colleagues that have come out of school, it's almost like they feel like they've been lied to, you know, like, okay, I did all this education. I was supposed to be able to teach people to squat, like Kelly Charette said. And you know, guess what? Now I'm in like an office with three people with TheraBand and a recumbent bike. This isn't what I signed up for. Like what happened? You know? And And for us, I always, it's funny, I view the same, the same way. It's like our practice, like being able to provide opportunities for other providers is the most rewarding thing that I've ever been able to do because I get to see them really love what they're doing versus coming from these high volume clinics where they're really second guessing if they should have even taken this, this round and, and gone that way with the profession. I'm sure, look, there's no, you're not gonna have a hard time finding people they're going to be interested in you know, working with people in that capacity because yeah. it's it's really rewarding. And and I think that they're they're gonna get a lot of energy out of their work during the day. And I noticed you you probably noticed this too, right? It's like when you were at Kaiser, how draining was that versus when you're in your own thing?
1: Yeah. I mean you just feel like emotionally drained because you you you, you feel like you're just going to work and you're just like punching a clock. Yeah. Like yeah you're helping people and like I, I was I was enjoying what I was doing. But at the end of the day it's like that wasn't my passion I wasn't getting fulfillment from that. And but I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything because i think that feeling of being boxed in and like you you can't like be your full self and give your full like pt self to your clients like that allows me to be like allows me to have empathy for the people that i work with now because they feel boxed in by their condition by their mm. life by the things going on in their day to day life whatever it is their jobs they feel boxed in and they feel like they're stuck and i feel like that allows me to be empathetic to them because it, i i've been in that situation and i can speak to them with that tone that i don't that, that i don't think somebody that hasn't experienced that I can speak to them with
0: I feel like empathy is probably the biggest character trait that we look for, uh, for people that we want to work with, you know, within our company. Um, And I don't think you can learn it aside from like personal experience, right? Like I think more, some people are more emotionally intelligent than others naturally. Right. But uh, that's a great point, man. Like these things that, you know, it's funny we are like, man, I wish I'd, you know, could have gone to this, this and that, but like along the way, like think of all these things that, that you learn, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and I, I, if you gave me two choices, if you gave me like, you can be the greatest physio in the world, but you're a dick and people don't like you, or you're a, you're a solid, decent therapist, but people just love you and they get along with you. I will take the column B every single time, every day of the week, because I think people are always going to gravitate to somebody who gets them, who's empathetic and who who genuinely cares about them. And the only people that can get away with being a-holes or just not by caring about people are people that, are in fields that don't really require like that, that one-on-one touch or, or, or don't require you to actually be face-to-face on a consistent basis. And, and for us, we're in front of people every day of of our work lives. And so I, you know, for me to be able to have like a physical or an emotional connection with my clients, like that just, that just makes the job that much more fun. Like I wouldn't trade that for anything.
0: Dude, that's such a good point. I was, I'm reading a book recently, uh, talking about basically leadership and business and, they bring up the way that like uh, the Naval special operation groups look at teams and what they're, what they, they basically graded on two different axes. Right. So it's like, uh, you know, good teammate. And then the other side is like skill. Right. So uh, they, they talk about like high skill, but like low trust. They don't, they want nothing to do with it. Right. And this is what you're talking about this sort of asshole, right? Like yeah. incredible skills and in whatever it is that they're doing, but wouldn't trust them with your wife or family. Like, that, that is what, not what they're looking for versus somebody that they can absolutely trust that, that cares about other people but doesn't have the same skill level as somebody else. They'll take that any day of the week. And, that's, and what they're looking for is, is sort of a, a high, high trust and high skill and try to get as much as they can. But if they have to choose, they're taking high trust over high skill. And, you know, to your point… I think that that is, I've seen it myself, like people that are the most skilled, the smartest people, they do the best on tests. Uh, they have the most research articles under their their belt. They tend to, to connect with people not nearly as well as people that maybe aren't as highly skilled, but are like great listeners, you know, like really, really solid listeners and have a ton of empathy. And I think like the trait that I knew I was like making progress when I had a lot of people start breaking down on me in my office, not, not in a bad way, like they just, when you start listening to people and actively like asking questions and they finally are, they're frustrated, right? They're just finally start getting some of these things out. First, it kind of shocked me. I was like, wow, why is everybody crying? You know, as I I started learning about sales and asking questions, it's like, I mean, I think that's a marker of somebody that's honestly like really connecting with people well.
1: Yeah. And what healthcare provider gets to spend an hour with their patient? True. Good point. It just doesn't happen. It really doesn't. And so we're in a very, very like ideal position because we get to develop those, that rapport and that relationship with our patients that you just can't get otherwise in any other profession. I mean, because if you're going to see like your dentist, or if you're going to see like a surgeon, yeah, you're with them longer, but you're, there's some barriers to actually connecting with them because you got your hands in their mouth or they're under. You know, it's like you can't actually like talk to them. So, like being able to spend an hour with them and listen to them, you know, talk about their lives and complain about their spouses or talk about their kids, or they just need like a. I always joke with a lot of patients and say, "There's a reason why I have therapist in my title." (laughs) it's more it's more than just being a physical therapist it's like you get somebody to lay down and they put their head down and they just start like it's just like verbal vomit and they just like spouting everything out and um and it's it's one of my favorite parts of what we do is because we get to actually like connect with them and listen to them and and learn about them other than just the injury because the injury doesn't define them at the end of the day so
0: that's that is so spot on man i i I have a ton of entrepreneurs that i work with and what's so funny for me is like i could probably just I don't know, scrub their foot. Just do something <laughs> completely irrelevant, right? And they could just like lay out all the frustrations they have in their business. And you could, t- as an entrepreneur, like you probably get this too. You're like, dude, sometimes I just want a sounding board of somebody to just bounce some shit off of and they clear my own mind, but I need to say to somebody else that maybe you'll like ask a question or two. And I swear, I have people to come back to me every single month just for that. Like, and I have to feel like I'm doing something, you know, physical yeah. therapy related, but really that's not why they're there. They're there because- they want the other side of that, you know? So, uh, this has been a great conversation, man. Like if people are interested in working with you, they want to find out more about ignite. Like where, where can they, uh, where can they learn more about what you're doing?
1: Yeah. So, um, easiest place to like check out content and just kind of see what I have to offer is on my Instagram page. It's, it's ignite physio. It's P H Y Z I O. And, um, if you, if you ever have any questions, anything comes out, it's ignite physio at gmail.com. I'd be happy to like to chat with people. I always love talking shop or, you know, just talking to people about anything and everything. Well, so I'm an open book. So if you have any questions, like you can reach out to me there, but uh, Instagram is probably the best place to connect and just get an idea of like what we do at Ignite.
0: Cool. Yeah, definitely go check it out. He's got some great ACL stuff on there too. Um, you're, you're one of the people that I, I definitely creep on for like exercises that we want to add to, uh, to, to what, to what we're doing. There's, there's just definitely some good information out there. You, you got a great platform. So man, do I really appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. Wait, why does this take so long? We shouldn't have, uh, we shouldn't have waited so long. I feel, I feel like this should have happened a year ago.
1: Yeah. I don't know why it took so long, but I'm, I'm glad we finally made it happen. I appreciate you having me on here, man. And and I appreciate everything that you, the three of you, you, Jared and Eve do for our group, man. So I can't speak highly of it. And, and I wouldn't be where I am right now if it wasn't for you guys. So I appreciate it.
0: Dude, people like you make it easy for us. You make us look good. All, all we have to do is like, you know, rub your foot while you talk it out. And then, uh, and then you go do your thing, just like our, just like our patients. But <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's all good. I appreciate your time. This is a lot of fun, man. I really enjoyed digging into it. And uh, guys, as always, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hey, wait a minute. Just to let you guys know, we are closing in on 200 views on iTunes. That's crazy. Most podcasts hardly get to 100 views, let alone 200, and this is such a niche-specific PT business podcast. That's wild. So let's try to rally the troops and get to 200 reviews for this podcast. The first thing you need to do is you got to subscribe to this sucker, whether it's on iTunes or any other platform that you're listening to on so you know when new episodes are coming out. The next thing, make sure that you leave a review. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I read all of them. It means a lot to me. Next thing, guys, take a screenshot of whatever episode you're listening to and put it in your stories on Instagram and tag me in it. That's at Danny Matei PT. If you do this, I will repost it. So you'll get a bump. I'll get a bump. We'll share this information with a lot more people because that's the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of a lot more people. So take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories, tag me in it, and I will repost it. So here we go. Let's try to get to 200 reviews for the podcast. Thanks for listening.